So, Chris, the people want to know our secrets. How did we get this podcast started? Yeah, kind of a crazy story. We were both coming into this from the YouTube side, have never really done anything podcast-wise. We looked around, found Anchor by Spotify, really great service. It's completely free to use. They have some great stuff that you can just upload straight onto the website. You can actually record on the website. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome into another episode of Sober in the States Baseball. My name is Chris, the MLS card guy. Today I am joined by my co-host of the normal podcast. This is Trippin B. How are you today, Trippin? I'm doing great, Chris. Doing absolutely fantastic. Really pleasure to sit in on the football side uh, this past weekend. and But now we're back ready to talk some hardball. Yeah, for sure. It was great to have you on the football show uh, and, and get to talk a little bit about, about that. Um, but now we are actually joined by a man who needs no introduction. He was the first player on SoRare in general. It is YNWA, a.k.a. Mark. How are you today? Yeah, very good, gents. No, thanks very much for having me on. Uh, it is already Wednesday where I'm at. So, uh, uh, yeah. Thanks for staying up well, late with us, man. <laughs> no, it's a pleasure. I mean, look, um, I think just before we came on, I told... Uh, Told you guys that uh, I started in this uh, world of crypto pre-Sarare with another MLB game when they first bought their license uh, in, into this uh, space. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with the fact that, uh, and, and I'm happy the fact that the timing for this is more US-centric as it should be, because which is where the majority of the, the users, I imagine, will be or will grow to be over time. And for any Europeans or non-Americans or people in non-American time zones, it's us that need to adapt. Um, you know, we've had uniques out for auction at three o'clock in the morning and I've seen people set alarms for them. And yeah, that's the way it should be. Yeah, that's great. We really appreciate you coming on the show and taking the time, obviously, a little bit later at night where you are. And you kind of alluded to it, right? Your, your kind of journey into the whole crypto space, it kind of started with a baseball game. Um, so just for the for the people that don't really know your backstory, just kind of a brief little backstory, how you got into into the sport in general, into Sora, I met Nicholas, all this, all this different kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. Well, it was this was back in 2018. So I consider myself, you know, pretty late comer to uh, the world of crypto. I wasn't one of these guys that got in in 2011, 12, 13 at uh, silly prices. Um, I think I got uh, the word suckered in, but I saw an advert for a game which was football related. Um, it's still in beta uh, from 2018. So if you think that certain things on here are slow, then uh, I can introduce you to a company that promised the world in 2018 and is still yet to go uh, live. Um, but to be honest, that was along the sort of Sarare stroke football manager lines. And it was like, okay, buy some of this altcoin. This will get you on a queue. And then when the game goes live, you end up getting a load of stuff. And I was like, oh, well, I, I, I literally was a punt, tried that, and then jumped on some forums, started chatting with people, then realized that there is, you know, a lot to take into consideration in this space. You know, you can get pulled in by the glitz and the glamour, but, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to find people that deliver on the other end. Um, so having learned my lesson there, um, the first thing that I saw was uh, MLB as a, as, a, as, a, as a franchise putting their name towards a new game, which was coming out, managed by a company called Lucid Psych, called MLB Champions. And I thought, well, look, you know, I'll have another punt. You know, it was this time, hopefully under the, the security that there was some IP uh, associated with it. And, uh, okay, whilst baseball wasn't a known sport to me, I knew people that I trusted that were prepared to get involved and we all sort of helped each other and it just went from there really. But after a good positive start, I think one of the things which they haven't done, which Sharer have done very well is they didn't listen to their community. They were juggling between this MLB game and a spaceship game. And it was clear that the CEO had more of a uh, an interest in developing out this spaceship game. Uh, which was at the detriment of, of, of building MLB. You know, there's still some very good guys around in those days. The guys that, the, you know, shout out to Cunny Thummers, who created Crypto Slam, who built Crypto Slam originally around the MLB champions NFTs. And that's just really shot off now to, you know, be a, a complete library and uh, a research center for anyone that uh, owns or, or is considering to own an NFT. Um, but yeah, no, just a great community that just wasn't listened to, unfortunately. Um, 2018, I had a great collection of Red Sox who, more by luck than anything else, went on to win the World Series that year. 
thinking I'd hit the jackpot. But uh, yeah, uh, I still need to find that uh, magic buyer who is a Red Sox fan that wants to uh, take over my whole collection. Who knows? That might happen one day. But if not, it was a great learning curve. And from there, yeah, uh, it's it's how I met Nicholas and and, and the style of Serrer. He was scouring the Discord channels, looking for people, I guess, like myself, who showed enthusiasm towards sporting games. Noticed that I was the, you know, the token Brit or token European uh, over in a game which was predominantly being played at this time of night uh, and, and simply said, look, uh, if I was to build out a football game uh, similar to what you're playing, would you join? I was like, yeah, of course I would. It's, it's my sport, right. my, my, my time zone. And uh, yeah, I couldn't... Uh, I couldn't wait to get involved. And so, yeah, we rounded up a number of other beta testers, some of which were playing this uh, baseball game as well. And yeah, 30 of us sort of like got this kickstarted in February, March of 2019. And here we are today, three and a half odd years later. Yeah, it's just been a, been a nice short three years. Nothing's really happened too much since then. So um, we don't need to cover any of the rest. Um, but yeah, I think I think you mentioned kind of, you know, different companies not listening to their community, maybe not not coming through on what they promised. And I think it's kind of a good segue into kind of our first topic here, which is, you know, the opening of Super Rare starting to finally get some features that kind of sort of make the website work. We can now search for players. Um, there's still, you know, obviously a few things that, that we still need, but you still, know, can't definitely step, still can't, still definitely, can't offer any trades. Yeah, <laughs> definitely a step in the right direction, though, at least. Um, and we've kind of we've kind of mentioned before how, you know, SoRare is very slow to to uh, to do some things sometimes in our in our eyes, but uh, they eventually do get it to the, to the right spot. So uh, just got to give them kind of a shout out, a shout out for there. Um, now, are you Dan, are you playing any super rares? Are you? Uh, do you have I don't any have super any rares? super rares yet. I'm I'm mixing it up in the rare. I, I did buy a full rare team and then kind of go down and start adding some limiteds in. But I'll probably get to super rares just because now I have all these extra rares sitting around and I, I don't want to just stick jam them in training because I think some of these guys are good. So I want to put them to yeah. use. So so rare will suck me in like always, just like crypto sucked Mark in, as he said. Uh, every time I complain about so rare or think in my mind, like, oh, my, do I really want to devote so much time and resources to this? I inevitably cave and do because I'm just a gambling addict and uh, this is the way I like to gamble. So uh, a lot of fun playing baseball so far. I got my first rewards. I finally got some rewards this uh, past game week. That was, that was huge in game week eight after trying to execute some plans in the early rare game weeks that didn't come off, but won a few cards and looking forward to building my collection even more. Like I've been telling people just accumulate cards, accumulate cards. The fact that there's really a, not a, very robust secondary market right now is actually, even though I think it's kind of a big deal on principle, it actually is not that big of a deal in practice because I don't think I'd be active that active on it anyway. I'm not trying to sell any rewards. I'm just trying to accumulate cards and let this thing grow and build. And I really would love to hear from you, Mark. Like, was it like that in 2019 when so rare football started where were people trying to actively like buy and sell really fast or was it more of kind of that accumulation stage and let's see where this thing goes. Yeah, I think, I think, there are a few comparisons, but I think uh, the biggest difference uh, here is that when you sign up the MLB and you sign up every single team and every single player, there's, there's nowhere else you can go. I mean, you can go down and collect the miners and there's, there's, uh, you know, I'm sure other spin-off uh, uh, series that you can, you can lead into this, but you've got everything here. So in terms of knowing who the better players are, who the best prospects are and what have you, there's there's no real discovery if you're a baseball fan. You know, if I'm if I'm up against you right now, you're going to have oodles more knowledge than me. You're going to know who the best players are going to be. Whereas when we started with the Jupiler League, it really was the blind leading the blind. So you probably were a little bit more reluctant to list players on the market because you didn't know how good they were relative to the other players. The uniques weren't coming around very often. The super rares weren't coming around very often again. So once you'd fought to get one, it felt a bit foolish just to try and flip it on the market for an extra 0.1 ETH, 0.2 ETH. You might as well hold on to them in the early stages when there was originally at the very first Division One. You know, it didn't really matter what uniques you had. You know, if you had some and you could participate, you just threw them in there and you and you and you and you, and you hope for the best. Whereas now, I think people have got a little bit more of a ability to dip in and out because you already know who are the best players. You know, we sort of knew, yeah, let's go for Club Bruges or let's go for mm-hmm. Genk. Uh, let's go for Antwerp. 
you know, and let's avoid the Circle of Bruges and let's avoid the Oostend and let's avoid cert- certain clubs. And you sort of like, but that was really as much as we got to go on. And then you had a smattering of West Ham throw, uh, players thrown in on top. So there was a bit of a comfort zone there where you're like, oh, well, I know this person in real life. I mean, I know who Declan Rice is versus Hans Van Aken. But it took us a few months to realise, well, Declan Rice is useless compared to Hans Van Aken. <laughs> and then everybody, and it, and it was only in the summer of 2019 during the off-season where it was like, okay, people were starting to make their first moves based on what they'd witnessed in the, you know, the, the latter part of the 2018-19 season. So, you know, I think, yeah, in, in ter- but to answer your question directly, it was more about accumulation because if, especially on the cards that you felt could go on to have more value, it didn't make sense to flip them on and, because there was so few of us playing at the time, you know, if you were bidding against somebody else, you probably knew who the only other person was that were likely to take the card. And out of principle, if you've just outbid someone at 0.5 and you've paid 0.6, you're not going to go back to that person at 0.5 and say, hey, do you want mine for 0.8 and try and make a flip? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they would have fought you on the spot for, 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 yeah. for the player then and there. So, um, and who we were fighting for, we didn't really have any knowledge of who these people were anyway. We just felt, well, that sort of feels like the right sort of price for that player compared to what I've seen other players go for. And that's where the auctions tend to stop. Yeah, so that's kind of similar then to a lot of Europeans who might be coming to the MLB game. It is. It, it might as well be the Jupiler in, in uh, league to them as far as knowing the personnel on top of having to learn the new rules and everything like that. So, you know, Americans hopefully would have an advantage. Not, a, you know, a baseball is a little bit of a sport that's kind of been dying off in, in America in terms of popularity, but it's still quite popular. It's no longer what I would call America's pastime, but it's still you know heavily followed and they have their own TV network and things like that. So maybe the ter- t- tables turn a little bit there uh, regarding Americans versus Europe there. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, but I think, you know, that again, as you've just highlighted there, MLB has a wealth of information that you can find, you know, as someone, again, who's, you know, an amateur uh, in terms of fantasy baseball. Um, you know, we've got tools like Surre Data, which didn't exist back in 2018, mm-hmm. 19. So if you want to make a, I'd say I'm, I'm able to make a more educated decision on buying a baseball card than I was when I was first buying, you know, non-West Ham cards, for example. And also, again, just looking at some of the names on auction, you get, you get to play off some of the people there. It's easy to see on the leaderboards who knows their stuff. There's a couple of guys out there, or more than a couple of guys out there that clearly know their stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you sort of see their name on auctions, you, you've probably got a good idea that, well, this person's worth maybe, you know, bidding up on because if there's that person, that person, that person, oh, it's no coincidence. This person's obviously, this player card's obviously worth uh, uh, contesting for. So you can sort of, you know, you might, I mean, for me, I might end up paying 10, 20, 30% more on a card, but if I'm confident that four or five people that know their stuff are on that same player, it's probably worth pushing out on. And, you know, as we find in Surrey, normally when you look back after six months, historically, if you think you've overpaid for something at the time, you know, time heals it. And six months later, you probably realize, yeah, it was, it was a shrewd, it was a shrewd move. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a seal of approval. If you see, you know, it, uh, just might get or something betting on a card, you know, the guy who won the first super rare, or if you see our, my, my esteemed co-host MLS card guy, you know, the, 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 if bidding you see on me a card, bidding on something, you know don't good. bid on it. Don't ever bid on it. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah, no, I have no idea what I'm doing, but yeah, shout out to uh, Miguel, our, our good friend, friend of the podcast who, uh, who, who did win the first super rare. How did, how did your teams do in the, in the first super rare week there, Mark? Did you hit a, hit a reward? I did actually, yeah. I finished third that uh, in the first week. Uh, I had a disastrous last day. I almost went backwards. I went to bed and I was second, and then Judge got a minus score, and then I woke up in third. So, uh, but look, I mean, Mike, my, my goal was top ten. Obviously, there's only ten ten prizes available in the first week. I think there's fifteen available to up for grabs this week, which is a, already a nice progression week on week. Um, so yeah, to hit to hit third, I hit a guy called Jordan Romano, who Mike told me Miguel told me was pretty good. So um, yeah. relief pitcher for the Blue Jays. So yeah, it's quite interesting when you hit a prize. I guess similar to the football side, if it's a player you don't know, you obviously then take the time to uh, to, to do a little bit of scouting around and see what you can find out about them. I wanted your take on that, Chris, as far as what did you think were the quality of some of the rewards for that first Super competition? I know Miguel was happy to win, and he he wasn't thrilled to win Julio Urias uh, as his first place prize. Uh, Urias, Urias, maybe, forgive me if I got that wrong, but he is a good young pitching prospect. Yeah. But you would have thought, you know, you get like a real big superstar for number right. one in the first contest. 
for you, Mark, you said you got third, getting a relief pitcher. You're going to find eventually that relief pitchers are really, you're almost going to say, man, I wish they were never in the prize pools because they're a very hit or miss position that you might, you could easily take a zero for the week from a, a relief pitcher, or you could get a 50. Like I got 50 from Kenley Jansen in this game week eight in, on my rare contest, but I had taken zeros from him three straight weeks because he just never got in a game situation. So do, do we think Sora has figured out the, the right values for cards to be rewarding? Is it still a process? If it is still a process, how long is it going to take to, to, to nail it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely still a process. They have to go based on what the market is doing, and the market is just very unsettled, and the player values are going all over the place. I mean, look at I, I, I so I've only sold two guys so far. One of them was actually two Mark. Uh, I sold him a Reed Detmer's uh, Super Rare, which, um, yeah, I don't know if I'm happy with that sale, but I I did need the profit to to go and buy some other guys. Um, and then the other one was a jerks and profile because he hit a 50 something in one game and just went off and then everybody started buying him. So I sold into the hype and and I just don't think he's all that good. I mean, he's still a solid player, but he's not anything special. And I was getting a really, really good price. So it's very difficult when prices are based on, you know, one or two games um, to realistically value how good these guys are. Like, I know the jerks and profile that I sold was very close in price to Ronald Acuna. Like those two guys are nowhere in the same ballpark as far as actual talent and future projection. But if you can only go, you can really only go by the price. So that's, that's kind of a limitation of the system here. It's not like we have professional scouts trying to evaluate each guy and trying to tell us how much all these guys are worth. So um, yeah, I mean, I think that'll end up getting smoothed out in time. I was a little bit surprised to see Julio Urias go as the number one to the first super rare. I would have figured it would have been, you know, some throw, one of the bigger names. Throw but, him a Goldschmidt, you know, throw, throw Miguel yeah. a Goldschmidt. You know, you don't have to give him Anything. judge, but somebody like that. I would have thought yeah, Julio Urias would be like a third, a three, you know, like what, what Mark should have won. So. Right. I think, I think you've got to take some, yeah, it's still a process, as you say, but I think if you look at the football side, you know, obviously everyone plays, they want to hit the Mbappe, they want to hit the Haaland or the Kimmich, whoever it happens to be. Uh, and then all of a sudden you get someone, I've seen last week, for example, there was a bunch of Vlavic from Juventus being awarded. Still a great card, you know, two, 2.3, whatever the last price is going for. So I, I think, you know, if it's done fairly, which we all believe it's being done fairly behind the scenes and however it's being uh, chosen, then if Urias is, let's say, a quarter of a, a judge or an Atani or someone like that, to me, that's the same as someone getting Vlavic one week and then Mbappe the next week. So as long as those yeah. big prizes are there to be won, and I'm sure it's only a matter of time before someone does land one of those, would it have been nice in the first week? Yeah, for sure. I think it could have been a really nice way to spin some PR and and, and, and hook some more people in. Um, but as long as it's 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 done fairly, um, and I think as long as people like yourselves are perhaps showing them where in the, the, the tiers that they're going wrong. And as you said, maybe highlighting positions. I understand catches are also something which is, you know, people aren't really yeah. uh, should or should be maybe spending as much of a premium on. So, you know, maybe we have to go through that learning process and it maybe takes a season before they sit down and evaluate the roles of the relief picture and the catchers. And then, you know, in 12 months time, like we've just seen with the scoring matrix change on the football, we'll have some, we'll have some sort of iteration on the baseball side, which maybe brings in balance a little bit more, you know, the relief picture's importance or the catcher's importance. But again, if these are not as glamorous positions in real life for baseball, then maybe they do take more of a backseat to the, you know, uh, designated hitters and, uh, you know, the, the, the stronger pictures. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a good point. And, and I think the the thing we're trying to get out here is it's very difficult to just go based on price and say, this guy's better than this guy. Cause we all know price does not equal talent. Like there are some guys that are very undervalued and there are some guys that are very overvalued and that's never going to really change. You know, that's, that's just kind of the way that the, the market works. That's how free market works. Um, the good, no, the good of, news is that people are way too busy complaining about so rare's football rewards to, to have energy <laughs> left. Uh, to complain about the baseball. So, so I, I want to kind of transition a little bit here and talk a, a little bit about the differences in football and baseball. And I think that that kind of sets us up really nicely talking about the rewards. I'm going to give you guys a list here um, of players. And I want you to tell me why they're, why they're on my list. Okay. Michael Harris, the second Trent Grisham, AJ Pollock, 
Kyle Tucker, Randy Arozarena, and Lamont Wade Jr. What, what do those guys have in common? They're all outfielders. They are all outfielders. They must They must have all hit 60-plus. I know that Michael Harris, uh, the second, did. Kyle Tucker did. I mean, mm-hmm. I know that because I, I should have played him and didn't. Um, <laughs> but maybe the other ones I didn't recognize, but a couple on that list I, I identified probably did have pretty good score in game week seven. Yep. You, I think you I see what you're getting at, which those is are the, those no-name are the top players. Outfielders. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Those are the top outfielders from game week seven, uh, the top six outfielders from game week seven. And Michael Harris is a really good prospect, but I wouldn't say anybody's like, I wouldn't, I, I don't think anyone thinks he's a finished product yet. Um, Kyle Tucker's a really good player or Zarena's a really good player. But I mean, there are some guys that are kind of more under the radar, no name type guys that are leading the, leading the league in, in performance here. So my point here is, is that, you know, the Aaron judges of the world aren't just going to be gimmicks that just nail 60 after 60, after 60 week, after week, after week. Um, so does that change your strategy at all as you're trying to pick your team? Does that, does that even, you know, when you're scouting, does that mean that you want to go for a bigger lineup? Does that, or a bigger gallery? Does that mean that you want to go for a smaller gallery? Like how, how does that sort of knowing that or, or that difference change your strategy there, Mark? Uh, me personally, I'm probably looking, I mean, I'm going to be carrying less baseball cards for sure because I don't want to be in a situation where I and I don't have the time or desire to go into the minutiae and start competing in rares or, or limiteds. I see this very much as something which has the potential possibly to cascade down. So by entering the super rare division, uh, try to accumulate you know winning prizes in, in the super rare division, selling those off. And yes, if that one day means if there's if you told me tomorrow there's a super rare and rare division hybrid opening up, I'd probably sell a couple of super rares or I'd probably add a couple of rares to my uh, collection just so I could enter uh, into into that particular division. But I think in terms of the bigger names for me as a football person coming into a baseball world, I'd rather go with the proven names that get banded around with the real world reputation. You know, yeah, you're always going to play on the fact they could get injured. Um, but I think one thing is I've, I've, I've learned to accept there's there's going to be a hell of a lot more variance on this. And if you're buying someone like Judge, or if I'm buying someone like Judge because I believe them to be superior than you know most most of the equivalents over the course of a season, I'd be kicking myself on the weeks that I left out Judge because I was trying to be too clever and go, oh, what about this person? What about this person? If it's right. an obvious one where you know, judge has two game week and someone else has a four game week, then yeah, no problem at all. I'd, I'd flip it and, you know, judge would rest and, you know, I'd go with someone that had four games, but there's probably, I'm going to be need, I'm going to need to have something as strong as that to convince me not to go with who I think is my strongest five main players um, on reputation and, and, and stats that I think they can achieve over the season. Plus, you know, whatever a pitcher I think, uh, you know, is, is a probable pitcher that's, that's set to, uh, uh, start during that game week. That's how I would approach it anyway. Um, I say things like Michael Harrison, he was someone I bought on a flip as well. Someone bought him and, and flipped him on four days later. And I think he had a good game. I'd read something and I thought, you know, he's a punt, he's a youngster. Uh, I, I, I don't mind carrying someone like that. But even when I bought that Michael Harris, I wasn't expecting to use Michael Harris at the expense of some of the other cards I've got. Uh, if I've got crazy injuries or if uh, Braves do well in the playoffs and then obviously some of my um, choices are no longer in the playoffs, then yeah, maybe maybe I get to use him a little bit more in you know October. Um, but right now, I would lay down the judge. I think with Miguel having picked up um, Julio Rodriguez this evening as well, it's almost as well when you're Ooh, in. For, for, yeah, when you're playing for me, the Super A, I see it similar to playing some of the Division Ones on the football side. You know, Miguel is obviously a front runner in the game. Orange fly, I think, uh, as well. You know, you've got you've got guys there. I'm also looking at some of the squads that are likely to compete against mine and going, well, I might as well lay down my judge to counteract Miguel's judge. I might as well lay down my Rodriguez uh, to, to, to combat that. And then maybe look for a differential in, in a different position because what you don't want to do is, you know, match up in four or five spots and then, you know, oh, I'll try and be clever and choose Michael Harris instead of judge. And then, yeah. Judge, judge, judge gets his 48, 49th, 50th home run or whatever it is. So, uh, yeah, that's, you know, maybe that gives you a little bit of an insight as to how I'm thinking of approaching, you know, the, the lineup selections. Just fresh opportunities to tilt, you know, like make the smart, uh, pragmatic decision and watch it blow up in your face. What could be better? You'll never see my Wilmer Flores coming. That's all I have to say. Love my Wilmer Flores. 
Um, but yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point. Um, and it's it's something that I, I just want to kind of get across to people that are coming maybe from the soccer world. Um, like Mark said, there's a huge variance in baseball. This, this is not soccer, um, where you can kind of expect game weeks to be somewhat similar week to week. And if a guy is in form, you expect him to kind of stay in form. Um, this is, this can be just almost seem random at times. Um, but yeah, how do you how do you kind of deal with that when you're setting your lineup uh, there, Dan? <laughs> so my my main guiding factor so far has been volume. Like if I if I can get maximize my guys playing four games in a game week or sometimes five if they get a lucky doubleheader, that's that's where I'm going to make my decision. I'm just going to let it roll that way, kind of the way Mark described. Like it means if it means resting a stud bat that only has two games compared to a, another guy who only who has four. That's what I'm going to do. What I really need to get into more of, though, I think, because as my my gallery is getting a little bigger now, I haven't really I've sold one card and I want to be able to play matchups. So now now we're getting into a situation where I have plenty of guys with all four games in a game week. Then I have to start looking like who's the probable pitcher they're facing. Is the do they have a good lefty righty split versus a team that might be coming up? Is this a playoff game where things are going to be tighter and every pitch is going to take forever or is it a game that has no playoff implications where I can expect uh, to be a little looser and, and you know just a little less urgency and stakes on each pitch which I think makes things looser and is helpful to a hitter personally so that's where you really need to get into the scouting is like once you get past the volume question which I think is a no-brainer and everyone should be making that decision based on volume and how get maximizing your plate appearances per game week uh, that's going to be a great stat I think hopefully so data can develop stuff like that then you got to get into who's facing who I don't really believe that much in the concept of batter versus pitcher I always joke around it's called BVP it's a very controversial concept or statistic in the fantasy baseball world but BVP batter versus pitcher is the concept of like, oh, this guy owns that guy or this guy, you know, this guy has eight career home runs in 40 at bats against this pitcher. I personally don't really believe that much in batter versus pitcher. I do believe in pitcher versus batter, which is I think that it's easier for a pitcher to be able to own a batter and be able to know how to get a guy out. Always know like what pitch they're going to bite on and things like that. But I also believe in batter versus pitch style. I don't think it gets into that individual one on one matchup necessarily, but there is a a, a lot of truth in my mind about Bat, certain batters being able to handle a fastball better versus handling a slider versus handling a curve versus handling a changeup. So it, I'm going to look at the types of pitches like that, that my batters are facing against the probable pitchers that they'll be going against in series. I want to know not necessarily the names of the pitchers they're facing, but just the types, the handedness, whether it's right or left and whether they rely on a fastball or more into off speed stuff and how that plays to my hitters. I think that's the next level of scouting for, for setting your lineups when you do carry a big gallery. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to get that deep because that seems like a lot of work, but I think I'm just going to go. Do you want to think I'm just going to go that that guy's a good pitcher. That guy's not a good pitcher. Let's start the hitter against the not good pitcher. Hey, no, um, nothing, so, worth, yeah. nothing worth doing is ever easy. Come on, Chris. That's true. I mean, you're not wrong. I, I'm not saying you're not going to win more than me. I'm just saying, I'm I don't know saying. if I can put them that much work. Not yet. Um, but yeah, that that's that's a really interesting point there that you make um, about getting and, and you can really get as deep as you as you want to in, in baseball, which is really, really cool. Um, now, when we were talking before the show a little bit about, you know, the, the price is kind of starting to stabilize a little bit. Um, and, and, and we just saw the most expensive card. Um, go yesterday and, and that was a Bobby Witt Jr. Or unique card um, when you're building your your gallery here Mark are you are you building it with just you're gonna buy Aaron Judge at unique super rare rare and unlimited or are you gonna buy different players when you go to buy a super rare versus when you're looking at a, at a limited or rare card um to be honest that that's more determined by the frequency of the auctions so i'm keen to get your thoughts on you know they've just put a few more super rares on the market i i'm i'm actually massively surprised that we're now seeing super rare a brand new super rare auction every 2 hours and 5 minutes you know we've drifted from 30 minutes to 40 minutes to an hour we're now we've now have these paced out and I, and I can't think of the life of me why it makes no sense that we're seeing you know for every we're seeing a unique every day at the moment so in theory why are we not seeing 100 super rares every day 
you know. And if we are only yeah. seeing a super error every two hours, that's 12 a day. We should be seeing a unique every eight days off the back of that. So for me, something is 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 completely out of kilt here. Uh, I always questioned why they couldn't stick with the one super uh, one ten a hundred a thousand, and then build beyond that. And I know the argument is, well, they're never going to, you know, hit the supplies of five thousand, one thousand, what have you. Um, but I just, I think the only disappointment from my side is is as I think that. Yeah, they've missed two things. I think they've missed the free, uh, missed the scarcity and the chance to replicate what has been doing very well on the football side. I also think they've missed the trick on the scoring. Um, I personally would have liked to see the scoring out of 100 because the weird part of me would like to see some sort of opportunity to create hybrid sporting teams. Now, at the moment, that would only allow for a mixture between baseball and football. But if you had every single player have the ability to you know, get up to 100 points a week and it was capped at 100, you know, you could come up with a load of cool stuff, you know. Yeah. But as it is at the moment, you know, we could have a baseball player go well over 100 over four games mm. if they're really, really on a hot streak. We know that pitchers probably not going to ever get beyond 50 points. So there's a, there's a cap there as well. And so for me, I just think maybe the, the, the scoring could have been a bit more imaginative. Um, and as I say, I have no clue why they went for 100 super rares when there's only 10 on the football side. Um, because you can always build down the, the, the depth chart. You could have gone 1,000, 5,000, 10,000 if need be. If you really think that many more people are going to join next year, create another create another scarcity. Um, but that's my rant over on that one. I, I want to jump in and just say I agree with you. I would have loved to see the, the scarcities match just for parallelism and just, you know, convenience sake and just always being able to remember across any sport on the platform that rare is 100, limited is 1,000, et cetera. My guess for why that happened would be because even though they've got the entire Major League Baseball and the whole league and every player in it, there's still way fewer Major League Baseball players than there are, for, are global footballers around the world. So I think they needed, they felt like they needed to, to have that 5,000 scarcity so that they could create as much available card stock for what they anticipated would be the demand for the game. Now, I'll say that probably the reason that auctions are slowing down and what I think is kind of being throttled a little bit, I think intentionally from what I've seen, because I've noticed the same thing as you as far as the frequency being uh, decreasing over the last week and a half or so. I think it, if I'm being optimistic, I would hope it would be this reason. It's because Sora has taken notice that prices have absolutely crashed and that demand is kind of a, a flat right now, I would say. I think there was a big push right at the beginning. I don't know how many more people have really been jumping in it's for this first month. And I just think they know that they can't, I, it doesn't have to apply to the super rares. I, they didn't necessarily need to throttle super rares quite as hard because I think that that's a smaller audience that they're selling to, but they've definitely scaled back the limiteds, which were going every few seconds at first. And now there's a minute in between limiteds and I'm, it may even go more. But when these cards were selling at for, you know, 0 0.2, 0 0.1 ETH on their first editions and the first couple of days of the platform. And now they're selling for 10% and 5% of that, the new auctions that are only, you know, 50, 60 auctions down the line. I think Sora has taken notice that maybe the demand's not quite as huge right out the gate as they would have anticipated or hoped. And the fact of the game not being fully formed and the fact of soccer players who came over and saw all these features that they expected and were not there, probably that's a huge turnoff. I think. I said this in previous episodes, you're, this is kind of right up your alley, Mark, that I feel like So Rare is kind of leaning towards catering to the minnows in this game rather than the whales. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but the fact that so, Super Rare Division took so long to open up, I think they should have just made it open from the beginning and let people go nuts if they wanted to right at the jump. I, I think the people who are buying in the most and spending money early on rares and super rares, I don't think that they got their, their just reward from so rare and the way some of this rollout has gone. So I think demand is kind of flattened right now. And I think it will be this way probably till middle of next year, the baseball season is, is approaching its home stretch and is almost over. So I think so rare is maybe doing a little price protection there, hopefully by, or just, you know, facing the reality. I see that as, ca I see that as counterintuitive though, because if they want to bring down the prices, which is fine, well, they brought down the prices by introducing a, a limited scarcity of 5,000 cards. Yeah. So well, I think you know, I think they, they want to hold the prices up. I don't think they want them to go any lower. That's right. Right now. No, but they, my point is they could have held them up by having a more traditional 110, 100, 1,000, in which case those people that, you know, whether you've spent a dollar, $5, $100 on a card, I think that everybody right now should have 
been able to achieve and build a collection which was is at least one scarcity scarcer than they have. If you're sitting there with 50 limiters at the moment, you've I'm sorry, but you should be sitting with 50 rares for what you've spent. And if you've mm-hmm. bought 50 rare cards at the moment, you should have had 50 super rares. The biggest difference between, um, okay, you can say that maybe uh, the percentage uh, bonus that you get, the 5, 15, 25, and 45 or whatever, you can always bring that in sync. But the bottom line is, look at the difference now. You've got 100 super rares and one unique. The, 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 the step up from what should be perceived as Division 2 to Division 1 is enormous. It's absolutely enormous. When you've got 10 and 1, you can sort of bridge that gap between Division 2 and Division 1. You think, oh, well, you know what? I'm not quite as special as a unique here. There's only 10 of these in circulation. There'll be 10 next year. There'll be 10 the year after as well. But you can sort of go in and with conviction say, I don't mind spending one ETH on this card. There's only 10 of them. You know, I'm not yeah. going to go and I'm not going to go and spend five, six, eight, ten ETH, whatever it takes to get the the unique version of that person. But I'm pretty sure if I had a, you know, this this guy here that I really like, there's only going to be a maximum of thirty of him over the next three years. I can do that. Now mm-hmm. people are like going, well, I tell you what, it could be three hundred of this guy in in three years alone. It's not that dissimilar to a rare at the moment. So now we've got a scenario where it's almost like imagine then that there are no super rare cards in the football side. That's what we're playing with right now. Mm-hmm. If there was no super rare cards on the football side, we'd just be going from rare division to unique. So you actually can't think of, a, imagine a way in which you can really merge those together. You're either playing the rares or you're playing uniques. There's no middle ground. And that's where I think they've 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 made it more challenging for themselves by introducing this super rare. And now they're not even committing to it because now we're only seeing an auction every two hours. So we can't even test the market. I don't care mm-hmm. if the super rare market collapses and, and, and drops down. I want to see more super rares in circulation. And anyone that's prepared to dig in deep now, even if it's, if it's with a, oh, I'll go and find another half an ETH or I'll go and find another one ETH. Yeah, if the if the limiteds go for, for, for a dollar a time, which some of them are at the moment, then that's great. But you need to build the funnel at the top. It's very difficult to get people, as we've seen on the football side, go from limited to rare, rare to super rare, super rare to unique. They've not fixed the prices for two years. There's nothing to suggest they're going to do that now. They've got a chance with the baseball to put right some of the wrongs or some of the things which people have got a grievance with on the football side. And one of the things is getting it right, the balance between the scarcities. And it's not easy, you know, otherwise they would have done it and achieve that so far on the football side. But with 100 super rares, they're in no man's land. What are you doing? Is, is it really scarce? doesn't feel scarce enough, which is probably the reason that people aren't spending on it. Because even though there might only be 10, 15, 20 versions of each of these cards this season, you know, from a standing start, March of next year, there will be 100 of every single one of these. And 100 doesn't feel special. So if you're just going to have a, a punt and you're just going to have a play around and build, you know, you might as well just build a collection of rares or limiteds for really ch- uh, uh, low budget and just play, accept the variance and off you go. It doesn't feel as though we're going to be able to bridge that gap and get people as serious here because, you know, the, the, the super rares are the equivalent of rares. And, right. And, and, go on. No, I think I'm only repeating myself by saying the same thing, <laughs> no, same thing in, a, in, a, in a different way. So the, the difference between 10 and 100 is massive. It ju- it's just like really massive. And like when I'm buying a super rare in football, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's just as you described. I feel that it's a special card that especially a lot of times they don't even get to 10. So there's really only three or four of these for a guy per year. So you really do feel like you're getting something special when you buy a football super rare. And I haven't bought any baseball super rares yet, but I, I will grow into that division. And you're right. it It's a mess. And it also is just makes a mess across the platform because blue baseball blues are 100. Soccer blues are 10 and the the there's also they don't have when you do the rewards in baseball they don't have tier zero through tier three they have tier one through tier four but it's that so their stars star rewards in football are tier one rewards in baseball and there's just you're, the two sports aren't speaking the same language across the platform which is frustrating i think and the 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 cards themselves aren't speaking the same language like you can't trade baseball cards for football cards and vice versa and you can't mix and match all of these different things and to your point, Mark, there's currently, I'm just looking at this right now, there's 500 super rares on uh, manager sale for, for football. There's We've been playing this game, what, a month now in baseball? And there's 159 on manager sale for for um, for baseball. So that's three years worth of soccer. There's, what, 600. And there's just over 150 already for baseball just in the last month. 
So once we get to three years out, that number is going to be absolutely massive. Um, and you're talking about, you know, buying stuff for dirt cheap. I think that's why you're not seeing any auctions go out because I'm getting Josiah Gray rare card for 0.006. Um, I'm getting Joey Bart rare for 0.0032. I'm getting Jordan Hicks for 0.0049. Like I'm paying like five, $10 for most of these guys. And they're like, they're pretty decent either prospects or they're starters or they're, you know, could be good in the future. I mean, I'm willing to take a punt on them for 10 bucks, but if they're, if it's the right scarcity number and it's out of 10 or in this case, rare would be out of a hundred, then you're not getting these cards for $6 and they don't have to shut off the auctions because there's too many of them. Um, The one kind of almost positive, like kind of a, not a direct result, but um, the almost positive part of it is if they do end up shutting off these cards um, and this game does end up catching on, there's going to be almost no year one cards anywhere to be found on any market. So these almost get to be more collectible and more, you know, hard to find once we get further on because Whoa. there's there's a thousand rares, but there's only six hundred Josiah Gray year ones. You know, will they will they stop auctioning though when baseball is off season hits? Will they have a utility game with some type of replays like they did during COVID pandemic? We've talked about that before. We don't get a lot of communication from so rare about future plans. And I think that's unfortunate because it would help people make better plans of what they want to do. But for now, the auctions continue that they've, there are fewer of them, but the cards keep selling. And I think they're just trying to be onboarding everybody. I just wonder about the sustainability. It's interesting to hear you outline the way you feel Mark coming from your perspective as someone who's been a huge spender on the, on the football side. I, I don't know. I want to know what you think, I'd love to learn a little bit more about how, because I know when So Rare Football launched, they didn't have the threshold payments. They didn't have the ETH threshold. And is that, I know they don't want to do it for baseball. Would that be a nuclear option that they have to do if the game's just not catching on by next summer or something like that? Do you do you have any perspective on how that process might work? Do you think that's going to be needed to bring some of these whales to feel better about making big purchases? Where Where do you lie there? Yeah, no, in short answer is no, I don't think the e-thing matters. And I've mentioned this on the Twitter space I did the other week. And the reason I don't think that way is whilst whilst you might set your stall out to win an ETH prize on the football side, okay, I'm going to just put the threshold to one side for one moment. The bottom line is that 99.9% of people don't win an ETH prize. You know, and I'm talking a podium ETH prize here. Right. You know, you set yourself out, yeah, okay. Yeah, first, second or third, you get you get ETH alongside your prize. I think I'm right in saying one of the attractions for me on the baseball side at the beginning was that it was outlined that you could win a card scarcer than the cards that you enter a tournament with. So in my mind, that meant if I'm setting out a rare team, I want to win a super rare card. Mm -hmm. If I'm setting out a super rare team, wow, does that mean I can win a unique card here? That's pretty cool. So, you know, whilst I have the intention of, you know, trying to finish on the podium and the football, yes, I'm not doing it to win the ETH. Okay, the unique division is different. The threshold is different. But I think that will come on the baseball side because they have to start opening up more tournaments. You know, nobody is going to continue to hold a collection of 100 cards, 200 cards, you know, if all we're going to be doing is playing limited, rare, super rare. Yeah, if, and there, there's, there's, I don't know where there is to go personally on that. I was, that's another question I wanted to ask you is like, there's no challenger Europe versus uh, champion Asia and things like that in the major league baseball side. There's just, I mean, they could do American league nationally, but I don't think people would really like that to be honest. Oh, then I'm curious because that for me, that's the, that would be the most logical step to go American League and National League and then AL East, AL West, AL Central. Um, you know, and, and, I don't know. I mean, I've always tried, I've always suggested on the football side, I'd like to see club ladders where, you know, let's move the stacks towards, you know, everyone that's got a club brew stack, you know, play the club brew league. And all of a sudden, you know, club brew start putting in some, uh, some, some incentives, prizes that, that will happen there. I mean, I don't know if I'm a, uh, a Red Sox fan and Red Sox had a Red Sox division, it'd be like, yeah, okay, that would encourage me to build out a Red Sox team and I'd want to have the best Red Sox team, prove that I was the best, the biggest Red Sox fan or knowledgeable Red Sox fan. And if the Red Sox were on board and they were throwing in some nice um, prizes on top, yeah, that would incentivize me to develop out my collection. There's no point developing out a collection until they give indication as to more tournaments. I think the Super Air tournament did open up faster than I expected. You know, whenever I'm buying a unique right now, I have no, in, you know, I joke with them today, look, you know, open up the unique league. Yeah, great. You know, it's 
but it's not going to happen until uh, I, I think later on. I thought, so the only I thought they listened to you and did everything you said, Mark. I, I thought you were the, the guy who had all the pull. <laughs> no, you know, no, it depends on, yeah, no, you know, it, it, if you're a content creator and you speak out against the platform, then unfortunately, no, you go back to the, the queue. You've got to toe the line. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to produce wholesome content without controversy. That's, uh, <laughs> that's the way you get listened to these days. Um, it's all we yeah. do is wholesome family content. Yeah, sorry. After this, after this episode, you can go back to bringing on some some, some yes men. So uh, no, look, look for me, I want to see more tournaments. But I'm, I'm I'm fascinated to hear that you're saying that if they did open up an American League and National League, is that, it's not that exciting. So what would what would make it? What's the next exciting iteration that you would you you can you can see happening that would allow us to have two super rare or you know four rare op, uh, entries uh, opportunities per week? Well, for what it's worth, I think that it is, whether, whether I think it's exciting or not, I do think American League, National League is the, the only logical place they can go with it. So I, I would almost say I foresee that happening probably by this time next year. We'll see. I, but but baseball is a global game, and it's not as global as footy, obviously, but there is a very robust Japanese league. There's the minor leagues in America. There's Caribbean baseball that's played at a decently high level. There's some leagues in South America. They, they could expand to those areas. And the, the thing that, that is, is that baseball lends itself well to that kind of expansion, I think, because stats are stats. Games are nine innings, no matter where they're played. Each batter is going to come up, you know, four or five times a game. And they don't there's no special rules that I think would have huge effects on the scoring across leagues and things like that. So I think they could do it now that they have to change the name of the product from MLB to baseball at that point. And that's not something I really foresee happening in, in maybe two years time at the earliest on an ambitious timeline, but there are places they can go. I think probably they would be a negative reaction if at first, if this, uh, the ex- expansion like that happened, let's say, so in America, there's, there's levels of minor leagues. There's the triple a, which is almost as good as major league. Then there's double a single a all down the line. So let's say they add the triple a guys. I think that there'd be some hardcore baseball fans that be like, yes, I know a bunch of AAA players. I've been fought, I know the prospects that are coming up to my team because AAA teams are affiliated with major league teams. So they, they're like a pipeline, almost like an academy. And there, there'd be some people that would absolutely love that. But then other people, I think the louder voices would be like, ah, I don't want to have to go learn these AAA teams that no one ever cares about. Because if they're not in your hometown, then a lot of people don't really know who some of these teams even are. They always have like funny mascot names to try to draw out crowds who, who uh, just will have some casual interests. So it's the place to go. I think it'd be a mixed reaction, but I do think that that might be, it would probably have to be a separate division at first, even though I think in, in reality, people would see that the gameplay pretty much carries over across leagues. I think even almost more so than in football, because you you whenever your guy goes from like a lower league to a higher league, you're always like, ah, he's dead. You know, you you sort of know if you go from Jupiter to the Premier League that that's bad for your card usually. Whereas in this case, it it wouldn't be quite as big of a, a drop off to see your guys cross leagues because the the scoring is the same and and the relative level of the quality of teams that each club and players competing against would be the same. I think it would balance out kind of nice. What do you think, Chris? So I think there's, I think there's more ways to go still. Um, I know Miguel mentioned that he has a bunch of, I think he, I, I, I think it was Dominican players. It might be Puerto Rican. I'm sorry if I'm getting that wrong. Um, but I think he said he has like four of his seven best cards are Dominican players. Um, and I think that would be fun to do like an American versus a Dominican versus a Venezuelan or South American, I guess, to, to open it up a little bit. Um, just have leagues of different, you know, where the players are from. Um, you could go ALNL. Um, obviously you could, you could have different styles too. Like we have seven right now, but you could always go like one pitcher, one hitter, one, you know, or you could have nine or you could, yeah, you know, that's a way you could to go, go. You change, could go change kind the, of all over the, the roster place. size. The um, but size. I do think, I do think there needs to be more than just, you know, limited all-star limited pro. And that's all I can use my limited cards in. So I have two rosters. There's really no need to have more than, you know, five pitchers, six pitchers. If, if you really want to play matchups, maybe as many as like 10, but outside of that, there's no real need for anything more. Um, and you know, the same number of hitters. So yeah, I, I think there do need, there do needs to be like long-term, there needs to be some, some more games that, that, that are kind of come up with and different ways to, to utilize the cards uh, and, and potentially too having like a collectability aspect of things would be fun. Um, having a, you know, you submit, you submit uh, an entire roster of this team's 
you know, cards and then you're open, you're eligible to enter this competition. Like you're eligible. So like, instead of just having, you know, a brave stack in a Braves competition, you say, okay, I've got the brave stack. So now I can enter the Braves competition, but I can enter anybody that I want something like that. And you're playing for Braves cards. Cause if you're, if you're just trying to play for one specific club, I mean, you've got what five, four hitters and two pitchers and then one extra. So you've got six players. That's not a whole lot of variance you can do there. I mean, you pretty much just have to start the starters. Um, if you're, if you're just trying to play a club of or a tournament with just one club's players, that could get a little bit challenging, but um, yeah, I think there's tons of different ways that you can do things collectability wise that, that I think would be really, really fun as well. Yeah. That's really interesting. Uh, collectability as eligibility some, is actually really cool. Uh, I didn't even thought of that. So I, I like that. Uh, I, I, it's one thing to have, you know, three teams going for contests and prizes and, you know, six or seven training teams or even you know, 10 or 12 training teams. Cause I have a big collection. Let's say it's another thing to have, three teams going in contests and 50 training teams, you know, like it, th- that would be a little out of balance. So that would, no one would even get there. Cause you'd probably stop buying cards. Well, well before you got that far. So yeah, they, they need more divisions and they need to be creative. I think we all kind of agree on the collectability it- side then uh, in terms of obviously the football is out of control. It's an economic simulator, which miners in football these days, it's not, you know, it's not a football collection platform. I think we're all kidding ourselves. If, you know, Maybe they can pull it back out of the out of out of the blue, and 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 one day we will see it and view it more as a more serious collectible platform. But right now, it's an economic simulator, and it's it just is just out of control. The the baseball side of things, um, and and I think this is vital at this stage is where are these early collector incentives going to come from? As you just said, there, uh, it's you know nobody wants to be selling five times, 10 times as many training teams as you've got teams entering tournaments. You know, you don't want to, you don't, you've already identified, there's no need to, for, to carry certain amount of pitches or, 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 or certain positions. So before this side, this new sport potentially falls foul the same way as the football side and sort of escalates into a, a financial simulator for baseball, you know, uh, with very little or, or attention to, or reason to, to collect, where can where can the community, or for, as a spokesperson for the community, if you were to be asked today, how would you implement, you know, some sort of collecting mechanism uh, with, you know, the structure that's there and and and, and the scarcity of cars that are there? How could you envisage balancing the gameplay at the moment so people's first train of thought when they come over from the football isn't, oh, prices of this, I'm not going to buy. Oh, prices of this, mm, I'm not going to buy. Or prizes of this no point me buying because I can't win anything, you know, because the mentality is always going to be assess the marketplace. How much are these cards going to cost me? What can I win? Do I have a chance of winning? I'll make my decision. Not once is it, oh, wow, these look cool. Great. Oh, if I click this, then it unlocks that. Or if I click this, I get that. You know, that that's never a factor, which is really, really sad after three and a half years. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think some of that is just you know, two completely different cultures. Like here in the U S we've grown up collecting everything. I have soccer cards. I have football cards. I have baseball cards. I have, you know, bobbleheads. I have tickets to games. I have all kinds of stuff. And I know a a ton of other people do. And that's just kind of the way that we grew up. We grew up even with Pokemon cards were huge here in the U S. So we always grew up with, with collecting and trading and doing all these different things that had no real utility. Right. So I I think that's one thing is just the cultural kind of difference. Your average football fan is just just doesn't didn't really grow up that right. There's like stickers, there's panini stickers and stuff like that. But it wasn't anywhere near the same level that baseball cards and especially baseball. Uh, Mm -hmm. Those baseball fans are so historic and so um, like so. I don't know what the right word is that I'm looking for here, um, but they care about the past so much and they care about, you know, in 1957, this guy did this and did this and, and you want to have something that kind of commemorates that. And I think that's where Sora has the opportunity to have like a two-sided card where it shows stats on the back or have, you know, uh, I, I mean, Trippin has been on this since day one, hmm. as far as like having pictures of guys doing things, you know, he, he steals his thousandth base and we have a special commemorative thousandth, you know, a a special commemorative rare, you know, card that that commemorates that. Um, Also, like I said, with the collections, you know, collecting, I'm, I need, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit mad at Harris because he's going nuts and his price is going up so much that I can't, 
I don't, I don't really want to buy him right now, um, but I'm a Harris and a Duvall away from having every Braves player that's been minted so far in limited. Um, and there's nothing really, there's no incentive for that. That's just something I kind of wanted to. Um, so kind of, I'm just kind of throwing money at it because I want it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's something where I can use that to then enter a tournament or there's something where I can use that to get a, a special edition, you know, Dansby Swanson or a special edition, something else. Um, I think there's all kinds of creative ways that we can bring collectivity into this. And I think it would work a lot better than if we tried the same types of things in soccer. Um, so yeah, that's just my opinion. I think it's a cultural thing and I think it would work if we tried it here, but what are, what are your thoughts on that one, Dan? I mean, I'm right there with everything you guys have said and, and there needs to be experience rewards. I've mentioned before, like just the chance to go to batting practice for a t- you know, let's say you collect, uh, of all the Braves and you get an offer to go to Braves batting practice for the day. I think that'd be pretty cool. Or let's say you finish in a contest, you finish just out of the rewards, but you get entered in a random drawing for a free ticket to a game or, you know, something like that. a thousand people that were just on the bubble of rewards. Let's say they get a, uh, a free ticket, something like that. So, or they get a lotto for every ticket, not every single one of them, but there's way, there's just so many like options and things that can be done that are just are not being done. And it, it's unfortunate, but I, I hope to see it. I, I agree with everything you said about collecting. I haven't really started in earnest on my Texas Rangers uh, collection yet because I'm mostly just kind of playing this game for as, as value as I can right now. And I, I'm spending all my ETH on my Charlotte FC collection on the football side still. So I, I think it's just all about like, again, I, I love the idea. I, I'll bring it up yet again for the millionth time. People are probably tired of hearing me say this, but a squad building challenge where you can trade in 11 limiteds from a team and get a rare from that team or something like that, you know, burn, burn your 11 limiteds for a rare. I don't know if they want to go down that route of burning cards, but that's something that could be done. And there's just, there's like so many things that could be done that just, uh, I, we haven't seen it because they're still up and get They're still working on getting the basic features up and running. So we'll, we'll have to see. I definitely can't. I, unfortunately, I definitely can't see burning um, as a, as, as an option, but here's the other question. Here's a follow-up question. Then. Is collectability or is collection collecting even necessary for this game to succeed can this game succeed without there being you know a strong collector element to it i think it they can only succeed if there's a strong collector element to it i've said that before and i believe it because of the lack of the ability to farm eth thresholds and things like that that draw a lot of the you know the cheaper people into the soccer game and because this we don't really know where this secondary market's going to go so uh right now in terms of being able to buy and sell and i don't even know if it'll get to that level of that economic simulator that you mentioned mark because i i don't i haven't seen demand take off just yet so we'll have we'll have to see uh, things could look very different nine months to a year from now but i think the only thing that's going to keep casual people involved is the ability to collect and trade and get a you know and that's going to happen at the limited level it could it could pull at the higher levels at the super rare and unique levels i think people are going to be playing for blood and playing for money and and really into the competition factor but for the game to be truly sustainable for limiteds to keep selling there's if there's going to be five thousand of these things put out next year it's got to be collection or bust because they're not going to have anywhere near as much utility as the soccer cards. I don't think either that, or they've got to get way more people interested in this game that are. Yeah. They, they got 680 million to dip into. You might, you, you know, you could probably, uh, you know, put out a couple of marketing campaigns to attract a few people off the back of that. If and you, that you, that's one thing they've done well is they're marketing it very well on the major league baseball network. It's very prominently displayed you know, so rares on the main desk of their main television show every night for four hours. And so rares on the graphics when they pop up, you know, this, when they pop up a graphic that shows how a player is performing, there's a little so rare logo on it. And they're doing that now. I don't know. They got to sustain that though. They've got to continue to build that. They can't just abandon that after a couple of months. We'll see. So I, so I kind of want to, I kind of want to know how many people have actually found so rare because of just strictly baseball. They found it from a TV broadcast or anything. So I'd um, give anything yeah, to if know you, that number. If you, if you are listening to this and you found it from a TV broadcast or from any kind of the marketing push specifically for baseball, reach out to us. Cause we want to definitely kind of get your story and, and how you kind of found the game. Um, but yeah, I, I think that would be really, really interesting to know how effective it's being. And I don't think we can really know that. I think that's more of internal so rare numbers. Uh, any other topics that we want to uh, to cover before we wrap things up here, guys? Um, the only I figured I didn't uh, finish the second half of a question you asked earlier about football um, 
you the user base from the football side transitioning potentially across over to, to the baseball side. When you asked about, you know, the ETH and, and is that required? Well, as I said, on the podium, they're the only people that are going to win ETH. Other than that, 99.9% of people are playing football to win cards that are liquid enough to sell, to rinse and repeat and compound up their collection or compound up their uh, returns. So I don't see there being that much difference. I mean, if you really want to emphasize the 0.02 ETH each week, okay, great. Yeah, people might miss that, but maybe there's something that you can do. Uh, on on the baseball side to compensate for that, but if you were to if you were to say to someone that they've got a a one in a hundred chance of winning an Aaron Judge each week, because right now you've only got a a one in ten thousand chance of winning an Mbappe. So right now for me, the difference is well, if I if you're telling me that just through making some simple decisions based on stats with a lot more variance, I've got a one in a hundred chance last week of winning a Super Rare. I've got a one in, I think it's 125 entrance this year, this week uh, for the Super. I've got a one in 125 chance of, you know, getting getting a reasonable outcome uh, uh, this week. I know every time I enter an all all star competition, no matter, you know, I'm I'm coming up against 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 people. I don't like my odds there. The only thing that will swing people at the moment is the difference in the off season. And I think maybe people are a little bit apprehensive as we're going right into the heart of the start of the European season now when you can see people maybe putting the brakes on the baseball side going, well, if my team doesn't make the playoffs, then, you know, I'm not going to have utility on these cards now through till March. But I think when, you know, we've had a year or so and people can go, right, well, I've got the chance to play, you know, MLS next year or J-League or K-League. I can imagine for me, for example, my K-League and J-League options have disintegrated over the last 12 to 18 months. You know, I came out when it, when it was first out and went, well, oh, great. I'll buy some Japanese guys done very well. But, you know, it's an absolute crapshoot at the best of times, J-League and K-League. And for me, if I'm like going, well, my my football collection is more geared towards, you know, Liverpool and the European season and under 23s. If I get to March next year and go, well, well my football cards are going to run out of utility in May. I'm, not, I'm no longer thinking, great, that's my entrance to beef up my MLS teams, my J-League team and my K-League team. I'm going to go, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to switch sport in the summer. It's a lot more. It makes a lot more sense for me to go and do baseball this summer than it does trying to. Because for me, I believe that you know a, a collectible card on the Yankees, on the Red Sox, on the Astros, on someone big is more desirable than you know uh, trying to second guess who the starting forward for Daigu is or, or Vissel Kobe or someone like that. Yes, they're great. They're cute. They've got their, they've got their, they've got a value. They've they've got their cult niche audiences. But I think the audience for MLB is significantly greater than the audience will ever be for, you know, K-League football. And so now that I've got the choice next summer of where do I spend my time, uh, I will switch off at the end of May, you know, um, after the Champions League final and June, July, which are normally quite a month for me anyway. I'll have a dabble. I'll have more of a dabble on MLB and I'll enjoy that probably more, hopefully more than I enjoy the, um, the, the leagues that run from, February through to November on the football side. Let's let's say hypothetically that so rare just knocks it out of the park marketing wise. The game is great, and they had a hundred thousand people to the baseball game before that happens in May. Are you still as excited going up against a hundred thousand purebred baseball fans that know what they're doing, and you're you're still going to kind of take that chance, or is this just kind of more? Um, well, there's not as many people on this, and I think it'll I think it will be bigger in the future. Oh, I mean, look, I'd rather have the competition because if you can get 100,000 people to MLB, then I'm sure there'll be a, a nice percentage of those that convert over to football or whatever the next sport that comes out. They'll, 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 they've made a ready-made audience for that as well. And you can always buy in knowledge. Is there, you know, at the moment, all the work we're doing, the gathering phase that we discussed at, at the top of the show. You know, if we're sitting there with a nice amount of, you know, super rares, uniques, or whatever, whatever the scarcity is, you know. 100,000 people coming in to fight over 100 Super Airs, all of a sudden, Super Airs go, you know, up in price quite quickly. You know, right. even a 1,000 Rares go up quite quickly. Um, you know, we've seen how quickly limited Mbappes go for. You know, there's a 1,000 of those out in circulation. So I'm sure there'll be at least a dozen or so real high tier zero, tier one cards on the baseball side where if 50,000 people flooded the gates tomorrow, they'd all want the judges, Julio Rodriguez, whoever it happens to be. And there's only a limited amount of them uh, available to have. But in terms of competing uh, maybe at the super level and above, you know, yes, I might not have the greatest level of knowledge when it comes to 
which is the bright picture for the, the week, or is that person better at left-handed, right-handed, you know, whatever happens to be. Um, but I'm sure there is someone out there that maybe would want to, you know, work alongside me, for example. And, you know, there's there's deals to be cut, as in the same way that people have joined the football side and, you know, ask me, you know, who's who's Liverpool starting 11 this week? Okay, can you help me make sure I'm void of DMP? We're all doing the same thing on the football side. None of us, you know, I don't have the knowledge on, on, on Japan, but I met Sarah Japan when he first started his Patreon service. And there's other people that have, 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 have shown serious depths of knowledge on their own country or their own team. So in the same way that you would maybe apply to a patron service or you'd strike up a friendship with someone that traded traded data with, why would that be so different on the baseball side? I would imagine that's the way that most of the football players, football users would come. They're going to use maybe profits that they're making on the football side, pick up one or two teams, test the water over here, maybe get frustrated because they make some errors but then identify people that are, you know, are knowledgeable, more knowledgeable than them and go, Hey, if you help me, I'll give you this. Thanks very much. You know, that's we, the way we the know a guy. Works. We know a guy called Miguel who can help anyone out. He's, he's amazing. Yeah. Um, no comment. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, we, we really appreciate you taking the time. I know it's a, it's pretty late over there, so we'll, we'll let you get back to sleep there, but uh, really appreciate you taking the time to give us a little bit of insight and, and, uh, and come on the show there, Mark. No, look, gents, look, really, really love the first episode to hear from you. And I really hope, but uh, yeah, you, you, this is going to be something I listen to on a weekly basis now. Um, you know, I'd like to do something as well for the community on the baseball side. I've enjoyed, you know, Miguel, Bob and yourself. So, you know, hopefully I can just maybe once a fortnight at the moment, we're going to try and do a Twitter space as well. So if anybody does want to get their, you know, their, their fix, you know, I'm happy to talk on both sides of football and baseball, but I'm, I'm loving learning from people like yourself. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can bring some more people out from this side of the community on Sarah and uh, yeah, watch this, uh, watch this part of the community thrive as well. Mm-hmm.